I want to talk this morning about a passage that is pretty familiar to most of us. Um, I'm going to tell you what it is in just a minute, but when I tell you what it is, you're going to kind of roll your eyes like, oh, I have heard this, I know this, I can check out and go to sleep on her. And I'm here to tell you, you actually don't know this verse. And the reason I know that you don't know the verse is because I'm pretty sure that most of you this morning did not wake up stand in front of the mirror naked and look at all of who you are, your personality, your body, all of your wounds and quirkiness, and stand there and proclaim to God above, whoa, check me out. Like, I'm pretty sure most of you did not do that. And the famous verse that I want to center on and go back to and learn one more time to really, really embrace its truth is King David's words in Psalm 139, verse 14, where he said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We've heard that said, right? If you've been to Sunday school, they have it pasted on the walls. Your mama might have said it. But we do not believe it to be true. We don't. And I know that. We run around in our world, right? And we hear from social media, from the media, from commercials, from our workplace, our home life, and even in our heads. We're constantly hearing the tape. We're not enough. We're just not quite that enough or this enough pretty enough, tall enough, smart enough, wealthy enough. We're just not enough. We hear it all the time, and we say it to ourselves all the time. And God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says in Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28, that you and I are made in his image. We're image bearers. That means we reflect back to God and to the world who God is. Like, that's kind of a big deal. We're the only creatures that he created that can do that, by the way. He says in Romans 11:36, everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. So I want you to hear that. Your purpose in life is not to be a mother, father, employee, owner of a business. It is to glorify God. Now, glory is one of those words you can't go buy in the grocery store, right? Like, get it in a box, I know what it is. It's, it's an elusive concept. So I'm going to kind of boil it down into a quick little statement. To glorify God means to reflect God's beauty, character, and infinite worth back to the Creator and out into His world. Right? It means to reflect his beauty, character, and infinite worth. We are his image bearers. We are created to glorify, to reflect back who God is. Only we can do that. And we do that in a bazillion different ways, right? It's not like you and I do it in the same way. We don't reflect his beauty, character, and infinite worth in an identical way, do we? We do it in a bazillion, gazillion different ways, and we actually must. 
because God is really, really big, right? Remember when you had little children, if you've had children, and, and like we wanted them to understand that they were capable, and it would be, so we'd say, how big are you, is Hampton? And he'd go, so big, right? And this is how big is God? Oh, he's so big, right? I mean, he's really, really big. And I like to think of God in all of his bigness, because I can't get my hands around it real easy, nor can you, in color. Like if I were to think of God as color, then he would be every color I've ever seen. And he'd be every shade of those colors that I have seen. And he'd be colors I have never seen yet. Right? Like let's just say that's all of who God is. And when he created you and when he created me, he gave us a special shade of his color. Something that reflects who he is his beauty and his character and his infinite worth in a way that, well, quite frankly, he can't or she can't, not quite in the same way. See, who you are says something about who God is. And I actually need to see that part of God. I actually desperately need to see that part of God. And so do you. And I don't think we get how very serious it is that we embrace how God has made us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. David starts the psalm, Psalm 139, verse 1. He starts out with these two words, O Lord. And I'm going to stop right there. We're going to get to verse 14, and you should be a bit nervous right now that I have stopped at the first two words. And in the very first verse, did I mention I have a doctorate in preaching? I can go on and on and on and on. Right, I've had a banana, I've had coffee. No. First two words are very, very important in how he starts this psalm. Before we get to verse 14 where he says, fearfully and wonderfully made, he says, O Lord, all capital letters. This is the very same word that we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Exodus chapter 3 is where Moses meets God at the burning bush, right, out in the desert. And they have this conversation there. And God basically says to Moses, I'm going to need you to go back to Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth, and tell the most powerful man on earth that you are going to take away his labor force. And, and then also, let's not forget that Moses tried to help the Israelites before, right? Like, and he killed somebody, and the Israelites were not happy with him, and so that's why he's out in the desert to begin with. They didn't really like his leadership style. And so Moses is having this conversation, getting this assignment from God, and he's like, dude, I, I don't think you understand. They don't really like me. And I can't go tell that guy that I'm taking his workforce. And, and, and basically, he says to God, like, okay, so if I do this, who do I say is sending me? And God gives this word. He says, tell them, I am. All capital letters. It's the same translation as what we see in Psalm 139, verse 1. Oh, Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really help me if I were Moses, right? Like, oh, I got that figured out now. Good, good, that should work, right? Like, I am, 
There have been volumes written about what I am means and what he was trying to communicate through this name that he gave Moses. And we can't really get into like the volumes, but I'm going to kind of put it down into just like a short sentence, if you can, to, to try to communicate what he was saying to Moses and what David is accentuating here. I am that I am. I am and I always have been. I am creator. I cause. Pause on that one for a minute. I am self-existent, self-sufficient. I am the eternal king over all things. He's giving this idea to Moses, and David is capitalizing on it, that God is really, really big. Big, big, big. And so David starts here, O Lord. And then for the next 12 verses, see how I went really fast now. For the next 12 verses, he ponders who God is, all the omnis. And I'm not talking about the hotel, right? Like, you understand that. That's funny. Come on, that's funny. (laughs) I'm just joking. You know that he's omniscient. He knows everything. You know he knows everything. He even knows, the scripture says, about the strands of hair, the number of hair on our head, right? By the way, if you are a natural redhead, you have the least amount of strands on your head than, like, say, a brunette or a blonde. And I'm not sure why someone studied that, but people have. And if you brush your hair this morning, a few fell out. I can't brush mine, so I don't have to worry about that. You can't get a brush through my hair. You can't get fingers through my hair. But if you did and a few fell out, he knows how many you have left. Like he's all-knowing and he's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere all at the same time. And so David spends the next 12 verses. He gets to verse 6 as he's pondering all of the omnis and he shouts out loud, such knowledge is too wonderful and too lofty for me to obtain. He can't get his hands around how big his God is. How glorious, how marvelous, how wonderful his God is. Now, before we get to verse 14, where we have to embrace what David recognizes, and that is that he's fearfully and wonderfully made, I'm going to argue we need to start, if we're ever going to be able to breathe that in, if we're ever going to actually get comfortable with who we are, if we're ever actually going to stop trying to be her or him and be us, we got to start right here with the O Lord. Like we've got to let society, our family members, even the church culture, stop defining us and letting that great I am tell us who we are. Like, that's where we start. That's where we anchor ourselves. He says, you're an image bearer. He says, you are the only creature on earth that can glorify him and reflect him to the rest of the world. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yeah, he knows you, and he knows me. And I know that scares us. But like he actually knows us. Like yes, the quirky weird things about you. And you are weird and quirky and so am I. And when are we going to go, okay, it's just part of me, right? Like we're always trying to hide these things about ourselves. 
right? He knows that I'm short and I'm never going to be tall. Not even in the new heavens and new earth, I'm going to be short. And you're going to have long legs and I'm not. That's how that's going to work, right? He knows these things and he actually chose these things and he's so okay with these things. Scripture says he actually likes us. If you've ever been a parent, you know that you can love your children but not like them at times. But Scripture says he actually likes us. Zephaniah 3.17 says he sings songs over us. And then I love this part of the verse. It says his love, understanding how he sees us, will quiet us. How long has it been since you've been quieted? by his love, by his understanding and acceptance of who you are. Like if we could just get that one, that would change how we would live. Now it's interesting because up until verse 13, what we have is we have David pontificating, celebrating who God is. And I think about David, he's Jewish, okay? Actually, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is actually Jewish which means he's not a Democrat or a Republican. He's Jewish. He's coming back to Israel. I have to tell Americans this because somehow they have forgotten. And David is Jewish, which I've been to Israel. I've had the opportunity to study there. Most of the people in Israel have curly hair. It's awesome. I was so meant to be Jewish. I have curly hair and the women carry guns. It's like the perfect place for me. And so David, I picture him as this blonde-headed little curly dude, you know? And he's out there in the fields. He's a shepherd boy. And he's laying out amongst the stars. And he pontificates in the Psalms over and over again about how God's glory is seen through creation, right? He says things like Psalm 89.5, The heavens praise your wonder, O Lord. Psalm 19.1, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. And David is basically saying that God's beauty and character and infinite worth are seen through the skies and through the stars and through nature. And when he sees these beautiful, beautiful stars up in the sky, he glorifies God. He starts praising God, right? Like he's like, wow. And then in verse 13 and 14, he does this thing. He flips and he turns to himself and he starts to, in all of who he is, by the way, his body and how he's made and all of his quirks and all of his weird parts. And by the way, when I say that, I'm not saying that you get to go around sinning and just say, oh, well, that's just how God made me. You know how people do that. Right? Because like, I don't know if you know this, you don't get to be dominant at a board meeting. You don't get to beat your wife. You don't get to do drugs. You know, heroin is not, you know how I know that? Because Jesus doesn't do that, right? Like, so when I say all of our quirks and weird parts of who we are, I'm talking about being unapologetically who we are controlled by the Spirit, right? Unapologetically who we are controlled by the Spirit. Verse 13 and 14, David starts pontificating toward himself. He breaks out in praise. He says, I right here in front of the mirror, glorify who God is. I mean, basically what he's doing is going, whoa, 
check me out. I'm amazing. Listen to what he says. I praise you. Why? He tells us. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Do you know that full well? It's interesting. We go on vacation, we go to the ocean, we climb the mountains, and when we do, right, we are in awe, aren't we? I mean, we sit there and go, it's like something transcends us into the glory of God. We get it. He's big. It's amazing. It takes us out of ourselves. But not when it comes to actually looking at the apex of his creation. That's you and me. That's what he said in Genesis. We're the apex. We're the most marvelous creatures he made. More than the ocean, more than the mountains, more than the zebra's funky little stripes. You and me. Do we live like that? We are unique, one of a kind, never to be seen again reflectors of our amazing God. That's who you are. That's who I am. And that sounds very lofty, I know. But I'm going to make it really practical for you of why it is so important to me that we totally grasp and understand this verse and actually start to live it out because it is very practical. See, I am 50 years old and I have learned that life is beautiful and it's hard. Have you noticed? Life is both of those things, isn't it? And there are things that have come my way throughout my life where I have desperately needed to see another aspect, another experience with God in ways that I haven't before. And you show that to me in those times. Let me give you an example. I have three children. My middle son, Hampton, is or was Dennis the Menace on Caffeine, and I'm saying that nicely. Okay, I've told a lot of stories about him. It's okay, he knows. He would like the royalties to my speaking because he has given me all of these illustrations. And when he was 14, he got kicked out of school and my husband and I had to make a very quick decision about what, what, what to do next. And really, he was headed in a direction that was like a wrecking ball that was about to happen in his life and we had to figure out how to change directions for him. And so we decided to send him to an all-male military boarding school in Virginia at 14 years old. We showed up, and the morning we arrived there, my son started to get sick. We took him to the doctor's. Turns out he had double pneumonia. We were there early so that he could try out for the soccer team doing two-a-days. And we left him there with double pneumonia, not going to hear from him for six weeks. And I'll never forget when we drove away. My middle son is very tiny. He's 24 now, and he stands at a tall 5'7", and he's 140 pounds. He's a bouncer. So this should tell you something. 5'7", and 140 pounds, right? This is where some of you go, oh, yeah, I get what you're telling me. Please. Yeah, some of you have any of those children? 
And when he was 14, he was even tinier than that. And we left him there, standing there sick. And he was standing next to this dude who was going to play football. He was huge. He had graduated from high school, and he was there for the, like a pre, you know, prep year next to my tiny little boy. And every night I would walk down the hallway to go to bed, I'd have to pass by his room. And every single night I wondered if he was okay. Because you know what can happen at an all-boys military school, don't you? Don't make me say it. And see, at that time in my life, I needed desperately to know that Jesus was a protector. I needed that like I've never needed it before. And some of you, some of you exude that part of Jesus in ways that other people cannot, and I need that. I grew up in an abusive home, and when my dad hit his late 60s, he kind of went nuts. I mean, seriously, had some mental illness. And at one point, he threatened to kill my sister at her wedding. Now, this was a bit of a problem for me because my husband was officiating the wedding, and I was the matron of honor. And I remember standing there thinking in the middle of this wedding, Dad, if you're out there, be a good shot hit the right one. I mean, is this sick or what, right? But this is kind of what happens when you have a wacky family. I'm a preacher sitting there thinking, hit the right one, don't miss. See, and at that time in my life, I desperately needed to experience Jesus as comforter. And some of you, you exude that color of Jesus in ways that others do not. I have battled depression on and off in my life, and you can tell by my bio that I'm kind of a a-temperament high achiever. And when you get depressed, and this can happen whether you get physically ill, there's times in our lives when you get put down. You're pulled out, right, of production, producing, and whoo, like, we live in a world where producing is very important to our value and identity. And during that time, I needed to know Jesus was an unconditional lover. Like, he didn't really care what I produced or didn't produce. And some of you, you exude that aspect of Jesus in ways that others do not. See, Paul says we're running a race, and we are. There will be a day we see Jesus face to face. And I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. But I'm aware that this race can be hard. And I need you to be fearfully and wonderfully made you. Not someone else not trying to be more you. If I'm going to hear those words, I need that from the body of Christ, and I suspect you need it from me too. This is not a flippant 
lovely Sunday school verse. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a stand in front of the mirror naked and saying, whoa, check me out. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we ask for forgiveness for knowing truth but not living truth. Every single one of us in here are guilty of thinking we need to be more when you are telling us that we are the most marvelous, unique, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-seen-again reflectors of who you are. Lord, I would ask, as Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher and theologian, said, that you would help us to, to breathe in his words and now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. Amen.